Section 8 of The Pastor's Wife by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 8. It seemed to her monstrous to take a man off his thinking, to tear its threads, perhaps to spoil for good that particular line of thought, with demands that he should write advertisements for a cook, or go with her in search of one. And as no cook was to be found locally, every wife and mother, except ladies like Baroness Glambeck, carrying out these higher domestic rites herself, she did nothing. She resigned herself to a fate that was, after all, everybody else's in Kokensee. It was easier to be resigned than to be energetic. Her will grew very flabby. Once she said prayers about cooking, and asked that she might never see or smell it again. But she broke off on realizing suddenly and chillily that only death could get her out of the kitchen. Herr Dremmel was, as he had always been, good and kind to her. He saw nothing, as indeed there was nothing, but the normal and the satisfactory in anything she felt, yet he did what he could, whenever he remembered to, to cheer and encourage. When coming out of his laboratory to meals, he found her not at the table but on the sofa, her face turned to the wall and buried in an orange, so that the dinner smell might be in some small measure dissembled and cloaked. He often patted her before beginning to eat, and said, Poor little woman. One cannot, however, go on saying poor little woman continuously, and of necessity there were gaps in these sympathies. But at least twice he put off his return to work for a few minutes, in order to hearten her by painting the great happiness that was in store for her at the end of these tiresome months. The marvellous moment not equalled, he was informed, by any other moment in a human being's life, when the young mother first beheld her offspring. I see my little wife so proud, so happy, he would say, and each time the picture dimmed his eyes and brought him over to her to stroke her hair. Then she would forget how sick she was, and smile and be ashamed that she had minded anything, the highest good. What would not one practice in the way of being sick to attain the highest good? And he'll be full of brains like yours, she would say, pulling down his hand from her hair and kissing it and looking up at him smiling. And I shall have to double the size of my heart, Herr Dremmel would say, to take in two loves. Then Ingeborg would laugh for joy, and for quite a long while manage very nearly to glory in feeling sick. About March, when the snow had been heaped on either side of the path to the gate, all the winter began to dwindle dirtily, and at midday the eaves dripped melting icicles, and the sun had warmth in it, and great winds set the world creaking. Things got better. She no longer felt the grip of faintness on her heart. She left off looking quite so plain and 
sharp-nosed an increasing dignity attended her steps which every week were slower and heavier after months of not being able to look at food she grew surprisingly hungry she became suddenly voracious and ate and ate ilse's amused interest continued her mother had had fourteen children and was still regularly having more and ilse was well acquainted with the stages the frau pastor it is true took the stages more seriously with more difficulty with a greater stress on them than ilse's mother or other kokensee women but roughly it was always the same story it will be easier next time prophesied ilse inspiritingly though the thought of a next time before she had finished this one depressed rather than inspirited ingeborg she had written home to redchester to tell her great news and received a letter from mrs bullivant in return in which there was an extremity of absence of enthusiasm indeed the coming baby was only alluded to sideways as it were indirectly and if written words could whisper in a whisper your father is overworked the letter went on getting away as quickly as possible from matters of such doubtful decency as an unborn german he has too much to do delicate as i am i would gladly help him with his correspondence if i could but i fear the strain would be too much he sadly needs a complete rest and change alas short-handed as he is and obliged now as we are to retrench there is no prospect of one whereupon ingeborg impulsively wrote suggesting in loving and enthusiastic terms a visit to kokensee as the most complete change she could think of and also as the most economical the answer to this when it did come was an extraordinarily dignified no in april baroness glambeck drove over one fine afternoon and questioned her as to her preparations and was astonished to find there were none but my dear frau pastor she cried holding up both her yellow kid hands what ought there to be asked ingeborg who had been too busy wrestling with her daily tasks in her heavily handicapped state to think of further labours many things necessary indispensable things what things asked ingeborg faintly she had little spirit she was more tired every day just the difficulty of keeping even with her housekeeping of keeping herself tidy in dresses that seemed to shrink smaller each time she put them on took up what strength she had there was none left over what things she asked and her hands lying listlessly on her lap were flaccid and damp then the baroness poured forth an endless and bewildering list with all the gusto and interest of health and leisure when her english gave out she went on in german her list ended with a midwife have you spoken with her she asked no said ingeborg i didn't know where is she in our village frau dorsch it is lucky for you she is 
not further away sometimes there is none for miles she is a very good sort of person a little old now but at least she has been very good you ought to see her at once and arrange oh said ingeborg who felt as if the one blessedness in life would be to creep away somewhere and never arrange anything about anything forever but it did after this become clear to her that certain preparations would undoubtedly have to be made and she braced herself to driving into Muck with ilsa and going by train to konigsberg for a day's shopping with sandwiches in her pocket and doubt in her heart she went off to shop for the first time in german ilsa full of importance and dressed astonishingly in stockings and new spring garments sat by her side with an eye to right and left in search of someone to witness her splendour herr dremmel had laid many and strict injunctions on her to take care of her mistress and in between these wandering glances she did her best by loud inquiries as to frau pastor's sensations frau pastor's sensations were those of a perilously jolted woman she held tight to the handrail on one side while the muke cobbles lasted and to ilse's arm on the other and was thankful when the station was reached and she somehow with a shameful clumsiness got down out of the high carriage incredible to remember that last time she had been at that station she had jumped up into the same carriage as lightly as a bird she felt humiliated ashamed of her awkward distorted body she drew the foolish little cloak and scarf she had put on anxiously about her people stared she seemed to be the only woman going to have a child all the others were free unhampered vigorous persons like ilsa it was as though she had suddenly grown old this slowness this fear of not being able to get out of the way of trucks and porters in time in konigsberg the noise in the streets where the shops were was deafening all the drays of all the world seemed to be spending that day driving furiously over the stones and tram lines filled with cases of empty beer bottles or empty milk cans or long shivering screaming iron laths while endless processions of electric trams rang their bells at them ingeborg clung to ilse's arm bewildered after Kokensee alone in its fields, after the dignified tranquillities of Redchester, the noise hammered on her head like showers of blows. There were not many people about, but those there were stared to the extent of stopping dead in front of the two women in order not to miss anything. It was at Ingeborg they stared. Ilse was a familiar figure just a sunburnt country girl with oiled hair in her sunday clothes but ingeborg was a foreigner an astonishment men and women stopped children loitered half-grown youths whistled and called out comments that her slow german could not follow she flushed and turned pale and held on 
tighter to Ilsa. She supposed she must be looking more grotesque even than she had feared. She put it all down to her condition, not knowing on this her first walk in a German provincial town that it was her being a stranger, dressed a little differently, doing her hair a little differently, that caused the interest. She walked as quickly as she could to get away from these people into a shop, little beads of effort round her mouth, looking straight before her, fighting down a dreadful desire to cry. And it was with thankfulness that she sank onto a chair in the quiet midday emptiness of burning and cunes drapery and linen establishment. The young lady behind the counter stared, too, but then there was only one of her. She very politely called Ingeborg, Nadiges Fraulein, and inquired whether her child was a boy or a girl. Lord God, cried Ilsa, how should we know? But Ingeborg, with dignity and decision, said it was a boy. Then, said the young lady, you require blue ribbons. Do I? said Ingeborg, very willing to believe her. The young lady sorted out small garments from green calico boxes labeled for firsts. There were little jackets, little shirts, little caps, everything one could need for the upper portion of a baby. So, said the young lady, pushing a pile of these articles across the counter to Ingeborg. God, God, cried Elsa in an ecstasy at such tininess, thrusting her red thumb through one of the diminutive sleeves, and holding it up to show how tightly it fitted. Nichwar, agreed the young lady, though without excitement. But, said Ingeborg, laboriously searching out her words, the baby doesn't leave off there at its middle. It'll go on. It'll be a whole baby. It'll have legs and things. What does one put on the rest of it? The young lady looked at Ilse for enlightenment. I'll have a rest, Ilse, said Ingeborg, also appealing to her. These things are just clothes for cherubs. Ach, so, said the young lady, visited by a glimmer of understanding, and turning round, she dexterously whipped down more green boxes, and, taking off the lids, brought out squares of different materials, linen, flannel, and a soft white spongy stuff. Swaddle, she said, holding them up. Swaddle? said Ingeborg. Swaddle, confirmed Ilse. And as Ingeborg only stared, the young lady gradually plumbing her ignorance produced a small mattress in a white and frilly linen bag, and diving down beneath the counter brought up a dusty doll, which she deftly rolled up to the armpits in the squares, inserted it into the bag with its head out, and tied it firmly with tapes. So she said, giving this neat object a resounding slap, and picking it up she pretended to rock it fondly in her arms. Behold the firstborn, she said. After that, Ingeborg put herself entirely into these experienced hands. She bought all she was told to. She even bought the doll to practice on. It will not do everything, of course, explained the young lady. 
the one thing she would not buy was a sewing machine to make her own swaddle with as ilsa economically counselled the young lady was against this purchase which could only be made in another shop she said true ladies always preferred birding and kuhn to do such work for them ilsa said true mothers always did it for themselves and it was one of the chief joys of this blessed time ilsa said seeing the house grow fuller and fuller of swaddle at this the young lady pursed her lips and shrugged her shoulders and assumed an air of waiting indifference ilsa resenting her attitude inquired of her heatedly what then she knew of mutterglück the young lady for some reason was offended at this though nothing was more certain than that knowledge of mutterglück would have meant instant dismissal from birding and cunes it became a wrangle across the counter and was only ended by ingeborg's altogether siding with the young lady and the interests of birding and kuhn and ordering as the baroness had directed ten dozen each of the ready-made squares i'll die if i had to hem ten dozen of anything she explained apologetically to ilsa and it was very bitter to ilsa who meant well to see the young lady look at her with a meditative comprehensiveness down her nose it left no honourable course open to her but to sulk and in her heart she would rather not have sulked on this exciting and unusual excursion she was forced to however by her own public opinion and she did it vigorously thoroughly blackly all the rest of the day all the way home and neither cakes nor chocolate nor ices earnestly and successively applied to her by ingeborg at the pastry cooks were allowed to lighten the gloom but i suppose ingeborg said to herself as she crept into her bed that night in the spiritless mood called philosophical for ilsa was her stay and refuge and to have her not speaking to her to feel she had hurt her was a grievous thing a thing when one is weary very like the last straw i suppose it's all really only a part of being oh oh she added with a sudden flare of rebellion that died out immediately in shame of it i don't think i like b i don't think i like b chapter nineteen there was nevertheless an absorption and an excitement about this new strange business that did not for a moment allow her to be dull she might feel ill wretched exhausted but she was always interested a tremendous event was ahead of her and all her days were working up to it she lived in preparation each one of her sensations was a preparation an advance there was a necessity for it something was being made was growing had to be completed life was full of meaning and of plain meaning she understood and saw reasons everywhere for what happened to her things had to be so if one wanted the supreme crown and her part of the work was really very easy it was just to be patient she was often depressed 
but only because the month seemed so endless, and she was so tired of her discomfort, never because she was afraid. She had no fears, for she had no experience. She contemplated the final part of the adventure, the part Ilsa alluded to cheerfully as her difficult hour, with the perfect tranquillity of ignorance. On the whole, she was very free from the moods Herr Dremmel had braced himself to bear, and continued right through not to be exacting. She had no examples of more fussed over and tended women before her eyes to upset her contentment, and saw for herself how the village women in like condition worked on at their wash-tubs and in the fields up to the end. Besides, she had been trained in a healthy self-effacement. She only cried once, but then it was February, and enough to make another cry, with the sleet stinging the windows, and the wind howling round the dark little house. She put it down to February, a month she had never thought anything of, and hid from herself, as she hurriedly wiped away her tears, where did they all come from, that she was disgracefully crying because she had been alone so long, and Ilsa had gone out somewhere without asking, and Robert hadn't spoken to her for days, and there was nobody to bring in the lamp if she didn't fetch it herself, and she couldn't fetch it, because she felt so funny and might drop it and what she wanted most in the world was a mother, not a mother somewhere else, away in Redchester, but a real soft warm mother, sitting beside her in that room, with her, the mother's, arm, under her, Ingeborg's, head, and her, Ingeborg's, face against her, the mother's, bosom. A mother with feathers all over her, like a kind hen, would be very ideal, but short of that there was a soft black dress she remembered her mother used to wear with amiable old lace on it that wouldn't scratch, and the comfort it would be, the comfort, if for half an hour she might put her cheek against this and keep it there and say nothing. And she cried more and more, and told herself more and more eagerly with a kind of rage that February was no sort of month at all. When Herr Dremmel came out of his laboratory to ask why his lamp had not been brought, and found no light anywhere, and no Ilsa when he shouted he was vexed, but when he had fetched a lamp himself, and put it on the table where it shone on to Ingeborg's swollen and blinking eyes, he was still more vexed. This is foolish, he said, staring down at her a moment. You will only harm my child. She did not cry again. The spring had dried up the roads, but she did not for all that take walks that obliged her to pass through the village. Instead, she spent hours in the budding garden up and down on one of the two available paths, the one at the end of the edge of the rye-fields, which was now the vividest green, or the one on the east side of the house, 
beneath Robert's laboratory windows where the lilacs grew. His table was at right angles to the end window, and she often stood on the path watching him, his head bent over his work in an absorption that went on hour after hour. He kept the windows shut because the spring disturbed him. It had a way of coming in irrepressibly and wantoning among his papers or throwing a handful of lilac blossoms into his rye samples or sending an officious bee to lumber round him. Ingeborg walked up and down, up and down on this path every day, taking the exercise Baroness Glambeck had recommended, and for three weeks just this path was the most beautiful thing in the world, for it was planted on either side with ancient lilac bushes, and they were a revelation to her when they came out after the spare and frugal lilacs in the gardens at home above their swaying scented loveliness of light and color and shape she could see robert's low-colored head inside the window bending over his table every time she came to the end of her tramp and turned round again it was the best part of the whole nine months these three weeks of lilacs and fine weather on that scented path with robert busy and content where she could see him. She loved being able to see him. It was a companionable thing. By June everything was ready. The nursery was furnished, the cradle trimmed, a pale blue perambulator blocked the passage, neat stacks of little clothes filled the cupboards, and Frau Dosch, a hoary person of unseemly conversation, interviewed and told to be on the alert. The idea of arranging for a doctor to be on the alert, too, would not of itself have entered Ingeborg's head, and nobody put it there. Such a being was indeed mentioned once by Baroness Glambeck, whose interest, increasing with the months, brought her over several times, but only vaguely as someone who had to be sent for when the midwife judged the patient to have reached the stage. Then apparently the law obliged the midwife to send for a doctor. There is much difference, however, said the baroness, between thinking one is in extremity and really being in it, and the patient was apt to be biased on these occasions, she explained, and inclined rashly to jump to conclusions. Therefore wisdom dictated the leaving of such a decision to the midwife. Yes, said Ingeborg, placidly. Of course, said the baroness, all this is different from other illness, because it is not one. Yes, said Ingeborg, placidly. And when I speak of the patient, I do not mean the patient, because without an illness there cannot be a patient. No, said Ingeborg, placidly. Nor without a patient can there be an illness. No, said Ingeborg, placidly. She was leaning back in a low chair, watching the sun shining on the tops of the lime trees over her head, for it was the end of June, and they were in the garden. It all seemed very satisfactory. Nobody was ill, nobody was going to be ill. There would be 
rather a troublesome moment that would be met and got over with patience and frau dosch but no illness just nature having its way and then it really seemed altogether too wonderful that then quite soon now perhaps in a week or two any day really there would be a baby and she was going to love it with this passion of love that only mothers know and it was going to fill her life most beautifully to the brim and it would make her so happy that she would never want anything but just it that is what they had told her on her own account she had added to this that the baby would be every bit as clever as robert but with more leisure that it would have his brains but not his laboratory that it wouldn't be able it wouldn't want to get out of its perambulator and go and lock itself up away from her and weigh rye grains and that it wouldn't mind in fact it would prefer being fetched out of its thoughts to come and be kissed for ages for years it was going to be her dear and close companion her fellow paddler in the lake her fellow wanderer in god's woods her eyes were soft with joy at the thought of how soon now she was going to be able to tuck this precious being under her arm and take it with her lightly and easily into the garden restored to her own slim nimbleness again and point out the exceeding beauty of the world to its new astonished eyes she would show it the rye fields and the great heaped-up sky she would make it acquainted with the frogs and introduce it to the bittern she would draw its attention to the delight of lying face downwards on hot grass where tufts of thyme grew and watching the busy life among the blades and roots she would insist on its observing the storks standing in their nest on the stable roof and how the light lay along their white wings and how the red of their legs was like the red of the pollard willows in march and at night if it were so ill-advised as not to sleep she would pick it up and take it to the window and impress its soft mind all over with the shining little stars wonderful to think that before the orange-coloured lupins those august glories had done flowering she would be out among them again only with her son this time her flesh of her flesh and blood of her blood her robertlet baroness glambeck watched her face curiously as she lay looking up at the sunny treetops with the amused smile of these thoughts on it it was clear that the frau pastor had forgotten her presence and even her being so near her difficult hour did not explain or excuse a social lapse indeed the frau pastor received her visits with an absence of excitement and of realization of the honor being done her that was almost beyond the limits of the forgivable always she behaved as though she were an equal and a particularly equal equal much however could be excused in the person 
who was not only English, a nation the Baroness had heard described as rude, but so near her first confinement. When this was over, there would be a severe readjustment of relationships. But meanwhile, one could not really be angry with her. Just her amazing and terrible ignorance of the simplest facts connected with childbearing made it impossible to be angry with her. She reminded the Baroness of a sheep going tranquilly to the slaughter, quite pleased with the promenade, quite without a thought of what lay at the end of it. Did English mothers then all keep their daughters in such darkness on the one great subject for a woman? For some subtle reason, the expression of extreme placidness on Ingeborg's face, as she lay silently watching the treetops and planning what she would do with her baby, annoyed the Baroness. It will hurt, you know, she said. Ingeborg brought her gaze slowly down to earth again and looked at her a moment. What? she said. It will hurt repeated the baroness oh yes said ingeborg i know but it's all natural certainly it's natural nevertheless the baroness stopped grimly screwed up her mouth and shook her head three times with an awful suggestiveness ingeborg looked at her and then suddenly some words out of her cathedral-going days at redchester flashed into her mind she had totally forgotten them, and now her memory began jerking them together. They came, she knew, in the prayer-book somewhere. Was it in the litany? No. But anyhow, they were in that truthful book, the book of common prayer. And they were, yes, that was it, the great danger of childbirth. Yes, and again, the great pain and peril of childbirth. A quick flush came into her face, and for the first time a look of fear into her eyes. She sat up, leaning on both her hands, and stared at the Baroness. "'Is it so very dreadful?' she asked. The Baroness merely shook her head. "'It can't be very,' said Ingeborg, watching the Baroness's expression in search of agreement, "'or there wouldn't be any mothers left.' The Baroness went on screwing up her mouth and shaking her head. It must be bearable, said Ingeborg again anxiously. The Baroness would not commit herself. They'd die, you see, if it wasn't. The mothers all would. But there seem, her voice trembled a little in her desire for the Baroness's agreement, there seem to be lots of mothers still about. She paused, but the Baroness continued not commit herself. I can bear anything, said Ingeborg, with a great show of pride and a voice that trembled. If it's... if it's reasonable. It is not reasonable, said the Baroness. It is the will of God. Oh, that's the same thing, the same thing, said Ingeborg, throwing herself back on her cushions and nervously pulling some white pinks she had been smelling to pieces. She was ashamed of her terror, but all that evening she was restless and nervous, struggling with this new feeling of fear. She could not keep still, but walked about the sitting-room while Robert ate his supper at the table, 
pressing her cold hands together, trying to reason herself into tranquillity again. She stood still a moment, watching Robert's quiet black back as he bent over his supper. Then she went over to him impulsively and rubbed both her hands quickly through his hair, which had not been cut for some time, making it stand up on ends. There, she said, now you look really sweet. And she bent down and kissed him lingeringly on the back of his neck. He was near her, he was alive. She could hold on to him for a little before she went alone into whatever it was of icy and awful and unknown that waited for her. Good little wife, he said, still going on eating, but putting his left arm round her while his right continued to do what was necessary with the supper and not looking up. His affection at this time had watered down into a mild theory. She was not a wife to him, though he called her so. She was a vendemuta. This Herr Dremmel told himself when he, too, felt bored by the length of the months, is a most honourable, creditable, and respectable condition. But no man can feel warm towards a condition. His little sheep had disappeared into the immensities of the Vendermutter. He would be glad when she was restored to him. The next day she got a letter from Mrs. Boulevant, dated from the master's house, Ananias College, Oxford. It may interest you to hear, wrote Mrs. Boulevant, that your sister has a little daughter. The child was born at daybreak this morning. I am worn out with watching. It is a very fine little girl, and both mother and child are doing well. I am not doing well at all. We had that excellent Dr. Williamson, I am thankful to say, or I don't know what would have happened. Of course, our darling Judith was mercifully spared knowing anything about it, for she was kept well under chloroform. But I knew, and I felt, very upset. I only wish I, too, could have been chloroformed during those anxious hours. As it is, I am suffering much from shock, and it will be a long while before I recover. Dr. Williamson says that on these occasions he always pities most the mothers of the mothers. Your father, but here Ingeborg let the letter drop to the floor, and sat thinking, when Robert came in to dinner late that day, hot and pleased from his fields, which were doing particularly well after the warm rains of several admirably timed thunderstorms, she gave him his food, and waited till he had eaten it and began to smoke, and then asked him if she were going to have chloroform. Chloroform, he repeated, gazing at her while he fetched back his thoughts from their pleasurable lingering among his fields. What for? So that I don't know about anything. Mother writes Judith had some. She's got a little girl. Herr Dremmel took his cigar out of his mouth and stared at her. She was leaning both elbows on the table at her end and, with her chin on her hands, was looking at him with very bright eyes. But this is cowardice, he said. 
i'd like some chloroform said ingeborg it is against nature said herr dremmel i'd like some chloroform said ingeborg you have before you said herr dremmel endeavouring to be patient an entirely natural process as natural as going to sleep at night and waking up next morning it may be as natural said ingeborg but i don't believe it is as nice i'd like some chloroform what not nice when it is going to introduce you to the supreme yes i know but i i have a feeling it's going to introduce me rather roughly i'd like some chloroform god said herr dremmel solemnly has arranged these introductions himself and it is not for us to criticize that's the first time said ingeborg that you've talked like a bishop you might be a bishop when it comes to the highest things said herr dremmel severely and this is the holiest most exalted act a human being can perpetrate all men are equally believers i expect they are said ingeborg but the others the ones who are not men they'd like some chloroform no healthy normally built woman needs it said herr dremmel greatly irritated by this persistence no doctor would give it besides there will not be a doctor and the midwife may not administer it why i do not recognize my little wife my little intelligent wife who must know that nothing is being required of her but that which is done by other women every day i don't see what being intelligent has to do with this said ingeborg and i'd like some chloroform herr dremmel looked at her bright eyes and flushed cheeks in astonishment up to now she had rejoiced in her condition whenever he mentioned it and indeed he could see no reason for any other attitude she had apparently felt very little that was not pleasant during the whole time known none of these distresses he had heard that women sometimes endure been healthily free from complications there had been moods it is true and he had occasionally found her lounging on sofas but then women easily become lazy at these times it had all been normal and would no doubt continue normal what then was this shrinking at the eleventh hour this inability to be as ordinarily courageous as every peasant woman in the place it was a most unfortunate unpleasant whim the most unfortunate she could have had he had been prepared for whims but had always supposed they would be tinned pineapples of course he was not going to humour her too much was at stake he had heard anaesthetics were harmful on these occasions harmful and entirely unnecessary the best thing by far for a child was the absence of everything except nature nature in this matter should be given a free hand she was not always wise he knew from his experience with his fields but in this department he was informed she should be left completely to herself if his wife was so soft as not to be able to bear a little pain what sort of sons was she likely to give him a breed of shrinkers a breed of white-skinned hiders 
why he had not asked for gas even when he had three teeth out at one sitting two years before it was the dentist who had insisted he should have it and that was only teeth objects of no value afterwards but to have one's son handicapped at the very beginning because his mother was not unselfish enough to endure a little for his sake ingeborg got up and came and put her arms around his neck and whispered i'm frightened she breathed robert i'm frightened then he took her to the sofa and made her sit down beside him while he reasoned with her he reasoned for at least twenty minutes taking great pains and being patient he told her she was not really frightened but that her physical condition caused her to fancy she thought she was ingeborg was interested by this and readily admitted that it was possible he told her about the simple courage of the other women in kokensee and ingeborg agreed for she had seen it herself he told her how god had arranged she should bring forth in sorrow but she fidgeted and began again to talk of bishops he told her it would only be a few hours suffering perhaps less and that in return there would be a lifetime's joy for them in their child she listened attentively to this was quite quiet for a few minutes then slid her hand into his he told her she might by letting herself go to fear hurt her child and would she not in that case find difficulty afterwards in forgiving herself this completed her cure an enormous courage took the place of her misgivings she rose up from the sofa so superfluously brave so glowing with enterprise that she wanted to begin at once that she might show how much she could cheerfully endure as though she said lifting her chin i couldn't stand what other women stand as though i wouldn't stand anything sooner than hurt my baby and she flung back her head in the proudest defiance of whatever might be ahead of her her baby her husband her happy home to suffer for these would be beautiful if it were not such a little thing almost too little to offer up at their dear altar she would have been transfigured by her shining thoughts if anything could have transfigured her but no thoughts however bright could pierce through that sad body her outlines were not the outlines for heroic attitudes she not only had a double chin she seemed to be doubled all over she looked the queerest figure heavy middle-aged uncouth ugly standing there passionately expressing her readiness to begin and herr dremmel unconsciously seeing this and bored by having had to explain the obvious at such length and spend a valuable half-hour bringing a woman to reason why could they never go to it by themselves wasted no more words having got her there but brushed a hasty kiss across her hair and went away looking at his watch and next day just as she was putting the potatoes into that dinner-pot that so much simplified her cooking she uttered a small exclamation and turned quickly to ilsa with a look of startled questioning 
get lost asked ilsa pausing in the wiping dry of a wooden ladle i don't know said ingeborg gasping a little no she added after a minute during which they stood staring at each other it wasn't anything and she went on with the potatoes and when presently there was another little fluttering exclamation ilsa with great decision laid down her gloomy drying-cloth and sought out johann herr dremmel not having come in and bade him harness the horses and fetch frau dusch the first thing said frau dusch arriving two hours later surprisingly brisk and business-like considering her age and the heat the first thing is to plate your hair into plates and still later when ingeborg had left off pretending or trying to be anything at all when courage and unselfishness and stoicism and a desire to please robert who was robert were like toys for drawing-room games shoved aside in these grips with death frau doche nodded her head philosophically while she ate and drank from the trays ilsa kept on bringing her and said at regular intervals ja ja was sein mousse sein mousse such were the consolations of frau doche chapter twenty these things began on tuesday at midday and on wednesday night so late that bats and moths were busy in the garden and often in the room frau doche grown very wispy about the hair and abandoned in the dress dabbed a bundle of swaddle with a small red face emerging from it down onto the bed beside ingeborg and said tired but triumphant there the great moment had come the supreme moment of a woman's life herr dremmel was present dishevelled and moist-eyed ilsa was present glowing and hot it was a boy a magnificent boy frau doche pronounced and the three stood watching for the first ray of mutterglück the first illumination that was to light the face on the pillow there said frau doche but ingeborg did not open her eyes there said frau doche again picking up the bundle and laying it slantwise on ingeborg's breast and addressing her very loudly frau pasta rouse yourself behold your son a splendid boy almost a man already she took ingeborg's arm and laid it round the bundle it slid off and hung over the edge of the bed as before tut tut said frau doche becoming scandalized and stooping down she shouted into ingeborg's ear frau pastor wake up look at your son a magnificent fellow with a chest i tell you oh but he will break the hearts of the maidens he will still the blankest indifference on the face on the pillow herr dremmel knelt down so as to be on a level with it and took the limp damp hand hanging down in his and patted it little wife he said in german it is all over open your eyes and rejoice with me in our new happiness you have given me a son ja eben said frau doche emphatically 
you have filled my cup with joy ja eben said frau dosch still louder open your eyes and welcome him to his mother's heart ja eben said frau dosch indignantly then ingeborg did slowly open her eyes it seemed as if she could hardly lift their heavy lids and looked at robert as though she were looking at him from an immense distance her mouth remained open her face was vacant frau dosch seized the bundle and with clucking sounds jerked it up and down between the faces of the parents so that its mother's eyes must needs fall upon it its red contents began to cry ah there now now we shall see exclaimed frau dosch who had been secretly perturbed by the newborn's absence of comment while it was being washed and swaddled the first cry of your son said herr dremmel kissing ingeborg's hand with deep emotion now we will try said frau dosch once more laying the baby on ingeborg's chest and folding her arm round it this time she took the precaution to hold the mother's arm firmly in position herself oh the splendid fellow she exclaimed frau pastor what do you say to your eldest son but frau pastor said nothing her eyelids drooped over her eyes again and shut the world and all its vigours out the sound of these people round her bed came to her from far away there was a singing in her ears a black remoteness in her soul somewhere from behind the vast sea of nothingness in which she seemed to sink through the constant singing in her ears came little faint voices with words she wanted to listen she wanted to listen why would these people interrupt her the same words over and over again faintly throbbing in a rhythm like the rhythm of the wheels of the train that had brought her through the night long ago across europe to her german home only very distant tiny muffled from battle and murder yes she had caught that from all women laboring with child yes from all sick persons yes and young children yes go on good lord deliver us oh yes please good lord deliver us please please deliver us perhaps a little brandy suggested herr dremmel puzzled brandy if her own son cannot cheer her does the herr pastor then not know that one gives nothing at first to a lady lying in but water soup herr dremmel feeling ignorant let go the idea of brandy her hand is rather cold he said almost apologetically for who knew but what it was cold because it ought to be frau dosch expressed the opinion that it was not and that if it were it was not so cold as her heart see here she said see this beautiful boy addressing his mother in the only language he knows and she not even looking at him come my little fellow come then we are not wanted come with aunt douche the old aunt douche and she took the baby off ingeborg's passive chest and after a few turns with it up and down the room slapping the underside of its swaddle in a way experience had taught choked out crying 
put it in the pale blue cradle that stood ready on two chairs well well said herr dremmel getting up for his knees were hurting him and looking at his watch it is bedtime for all of us it is past midnight to-morrow after sleep my wife will be herself again he went towards the door followed by ilsa with one of the two lamps that were adding to the stifling heat in the room then paused and looked back ingeborg was lying as before you are sure only water soup he said hesitating is that will that by the time it reaches my son nourish him for all answer frau dersch advanced heavily and shut the door she was tired to death she was not at that hour of the night going to defend her methods to a husband she locked the door and began pulling off her dress she could hardly stand it had been one of those perfectly normal births that yet are endless and half kill an honest midwife who is not as young as she used to be before dropping on to the bed provided for her she took a final look at the object in the cradle which was noiselessly sleeping and then at the other object on the bed which was lying as before well if the frau pastor preferred behaving like a log instead of a proud mother frau dosch shrugged her shoulder put on a coloured dimity jacket over her petticoat kicked off her slippers and went stocking and hairpinned to bed and to instant sleep but the life in the parsonage puzzled herr dremmel during the next few weeks he had expected the simple joys of realized family happiness to succeed the act of birth it was a reasonable expectation it occurred in other houses he had been patient for nine months supported during their interminableness by the thought that what he bore would be amply made up to him at the end of them by a delighted young wife restored to him in her slenderness and health running singing about the house with a healthy son in her arms the son was there and seemed satisfactory but where was the healthy young wife and as for running about the house when the fifth day came the day on which the other women of the parish got up and began to be brisk again ingeborg made no sign of even being aware it was expected of her she looked at him vaguely when he suggested it with the same vagueness and want of interest in anything with which she lay for hours staring out of the window her mouth always a little open her position always the same unless ilsa came and changed it for her frau dosch had left the morning after the birth according to the custom of midwives returning on each of the three following mornings to wash the mother and child and after that ilsa had taken over these duties and as far as he could see performed them with zeal and vigour everything was done that could be done why then did ingeborg remain apathetic and uninterested in bed and not take the trouble even to shut her mouth he was puzzled and disappointed the days passed and nothing was changed 
he could not but view these manifestations of want of backbone with uneasiness occurring as they did in the mother of his children the least thing that was demanded of her in the way of exertion made her break out into a perspiration she had not yet so far as he knew voluntarily put her arms once round her son ilsa had to hold them round him she had not even said anything about him he might have been a girl for any pride she showed and that holiest function of a mother the nursing of her child instead of being a recurring joy was a recurring and apparently increasing difficulty he had pointed out to her that it was not only the greatest privilege of a mother to nurse her child but it was an established fact that it gave her the deepest the holiest satisfaction in all pictures where there is a mother he had reminded her she is invariably either nursing or has just been doing so and on her face is the satisfied serenity that attends the fulfilment of natural functions she had not answered and her face remained turned away and flushed with beads rolling down it ilsa held the baby he observed there was a most regrettable want of hold in his wife and she appeared to have odd fancies she imagined for instance that the pieces of buttered bread ilsa put on a plate and laid beside her on her bed at tea-time were stuck to the plate he had found her struggling one afternoon and becoming hot endeavouring to lift one of these pieces off the plate he had asked her ilsa not being in the room what she was doing as usual she had whispered it was another of her fancies that she had lost her voice and when he bent down he found that she was whispering the word stuck he had taken up the piece to show her she was mistaken and had shaken the plate and made all the pieces on it spring about and she had watched him and then begun over again to behave as if she could not lift one then she dropped her hands down onto the sheet and looked up at him and began to whisper something else heavy she whispered but not he was glad to say without at least some sort of a slight smile indicating her awareness that she was conducting herself childishly and ilsa coming in had taken the bread and fed her as if it were she who were the baby and not his son herr dremmel therefore was both puzzled and worried he was still more puzzled and worried when on the very day week after the birth ilsa came to him and said that frau pasta was shaking her bed about and that she feared if she did not soon stop the bed which was enfeebled as herr pasta knew by having two mended legs among its four might break she had reminded frau pastor of this but she did not seem to care and continued to shake it the good bed said ilsa the excellent bed the best we have in the house would herr pastor step across herr pastor stepped across and found ingeborg shivering with such astonishing energy that the bed did as ilsa had described rattle threateningly 
in reply to his questions ilse told him for ingeborg was too busy shaking to explain that nothing had happened except that frau pastor said she was thirsty and would like a glass of cold water and she had fetched it fresh from the pump and frau pastor had asked to be held up to drink it and had drunk it all at one draught and immediately fallen back and begun this shaking ingeborg what is this said herr dremmel with a show of severity for he had heard severity acted as a sedative on those who for instance shake when however ingeborg instead of replying like a reasonable being continued to shake and seem unaware of his presence and when on touching her he found that in spite of the shivering she was extremely hot he sent johann for frau dosch who on seeing her could only suggest that johann should drive on into muck and bring out the doctor and so it was that ingeborg coming suddenly out of a thin high confusion in which she seemed to have been hurrying since the world began found it was night for lamps were alight and people many people were round her bed and one was a man she did not know with a short black beard but she did know him it was the doctor it flashed across her instantly then she had really got to being in extremity that woman had said so that big woman who used to come and see her in the garden long ago and ilsa that was ilsa at the foot of the bed crying when one was in extremity ilsa did cry she found herself stroking the doctor's beard and begging him not to let go of her she was reminded that it was unusual to stroke the doctor's beard by his drawing back but she thought it silly not to let one's beard be stroked if somebody wanted to she heard herself saying don't let go of me please don't let go of me please but it seemed that he could not hold her for she was caught away almost immediately again into that thin hot hurrying confusion high up in the treble high up at the very top where all the violins were insisting together over and over again on one thin quivering anxious note it is impossible said the doctor a jew from konigsberg lately married and set up at Menk, looking at Frau Douche, that this should have happened. And he proceeded to explain to Herr Dremmel that the child in future would have to seek its nourishment in tins. What? exclaimed Herr Dremmel. Tins, said the doctor. Tins? For my son? When there are cows in the world? Cows which at least more closely resemble mothers than tins? Tins! repeated the doctor firmly herr pastor cows have moods just as frequently as women they are fed unwisely and behold immediately a mood not having the gift of tongues they cannot convey their mood by speech and baffled at one end they fall back upon the other and express their malignancies in milk herr dremmel was silent the complications and difficulties of family life were being lit up into a picture at which he could only gaze in dismay 
on the bed ingeborg was ceaselessly turning her head from one side to the other and rubbing her hands weakly up and down up and down over the sheet while he talked the doctor was watching her frau doche stood looking on with a locked-up mouth ilsa wept the baby whimpered end of section eight